0: You can also try to figure out what markets are they not participating in. And then if you are competing against an investor, the only thing that's going to help with a seller on that is sales price. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui. Hey, it is the middle of June, and today is the state of the market. I'm going to talk about all sorts of different real estate news today. If you've been listening to the last couple of weeks, you've heard at least two or three episodes from our Real Estate Rockstars Classics. These are some of the best episodes that we've had as far as downloads and attention over the past several years. And so we bring them back up when we think there is a lot of good stuff for you out there. So I wanted to start this one with just a couple kind of interesting conversations that have happened on people that have been reaching out to me on social media people that have been reaching out to me via email and asking questions kind of after some of the podcasts to get some extra opinions. Some of the, the, the articles I'm going to talk today about are going to be about housing, you know, inflation, lumber, things like that. But one of the things that I did is I posted a recap of my interview with Sean O'Toole. And Sean was the founder of Property Radar, Foreclosure Radar. And we talked about inflation in a couple different ways. And he said, you know, there's one way to combat inflation by investing in real estate. It's not just about the housing prices that are going up. The dollar relative to housing is going down. Coupled with low interest rates, housing is incredibly subsidized. So the comment was, if you're in an inflationary time, you don't want to hold cash. You want to have assets that are likely to inflate. The other side of that, though, was the idea of the examples of technology's deflationary effects. We talked about how now you have a, a computer in your phone. In farming, there used to be worldwide shortages that production made easier. As prices of real estate soar, now there's going to be 3D printing of houses, alternative building, recycled waste use, reduced cost or need of labor. Wages go up. The innovative find a way to replace workers with technology like those kiosk examples. So during that interview, we talked about because of all the money that's getting printed, inflation is going up. And then Sean said, but at the same time, inflation will go down. He believes inflation will be temporary. And that's why. So Andrew Squire, real estate state reached out to me on Instagram and he said, curious about your thoughts. though. with skilled worker shortages nationally, do we think modular will take a foothold in more projects where he's based in Montana? They've yet to see any large scale modular projects, but they try to, but they maybe see that coming soon. And so my answer for Andrew would be, I do think that it's coming right. And I think the idea though, is trying to understand how long will it take for, technology to outpace inflation. Part of what has to happen first is expenses have to go way up. Right? Inflation, yeah, you know, inflation won't happen if wages don't go up. Once wages go up, that's when business owners say, "Hey, it is worth it to invest in this new software, essentially to replace the worker." If the wages are really inexpensive, if you can have a worker come work for 6-7 dollars an hour, then there's no reason to invest money to replace them because it's an inexpensive way to produce your goods when costs go up that's when people start wanting to innovate and so like you wouldn't put a kiosk in mcdonald's until wages started to go up high enough they said hey it'd be better to spend tens of thousands now to get those kiosks set up so we don't have to pay the wages later i think the same thing happens with housing and so what that means is we have seen some big runs on housing in the past 18 months right prices have gone way up but in Texas, for example, I talk about Texas a lot because I've been here, but for 15 years, there was no price appreciation. For 15 years, the prices gradually went up about the same rate as inflation, like 2 or 3% per year. We did not see a big spike until just the last 18 months. And I think Montana is probably similar where for years you didn't see the big you know, influx of prices going way up and way down. So the only reason people will invest in innovation, in 3D printing, and in, in, in building houses for less, is if, if there's a demand, if there's a, a need, and if prices and price appreciation outpace supply. So now we're obviously in that time. We're in that time where housing is currently outpacing supply. So now that it's outpacing supply, now people are going to look into the 3D printing. They didn't need to. In Montana, 18 months ago, two years ago, they didn't need to try to 3D print a house. Building houses normally was just fine. Same in the Austin area. You could build a house two years ago for 70 or 80,000 all in construction. We could buy new construction houses all in for 120, 130,000. You can't anymore. So now we need those innovative ways. A couple of years ago, we didn't need the innovation. So now prices have gone up. I think you're going to see more innovation. I think that prices need to stay up for that to happen. And it'll probably take, you know, so at this point, how long will it take to see the offsets of it? There's some of those business startups out there. It will be at least two or three years before we see probably the 3D printing be something that, that lowers prices. But, there's, but I think what we'll see first is some tech innovation that's going to figure out quicker ways to get lumber. Maybe replacements on lumber, maybe shipping lumber from other places throughout the U.S. or some subsidies to try to affect some of those other building uh, materials. So another question. So Paul on Instagram said, do you think lumber production ramps back up to previous levels once the unemployment benefits run out and lumber companies staff back up? So one of the articles that I had read with Sean talked about the inability to staff you know, lumber manufacturing plants. So part of the reason they're having trouble is why would someone want to go back, you know, in Oregon, where they're still getting double unemployment benefits, why would someone want to go back and work in a, in a, in a lumber yard, you know, in a sawmill cutting lumber, very difficult work, very hard work for low pay when they can get paid the same to stay home. So the, his question said, once unemployment benefits run out, do I think the lumber companies will staff back up? Yes. So I think that once benefits run out everywhere, a lot of places it will be easier to staff up, but I don't think it's going to go back to hundred percent of what it was before. And so what I mean by that is, and, and that could be restaurant workers. That could be all sorts of factories, all home Depot, you know, any business out there, you name it. There are a lot of people that are choosing not to work right now because the benefits, uh, You know, outpay and there will become a point where when the benefits go away, they realize they have to go back to work in order to survive, in order to pay their bills, in order to live the life they want to. The only caveat to that is not everybody's going to come back, but some people have just changed. Some people have realized that they've had these new lifestyle shifts, that they like not working, that they were getting burnt out. Maybe working in the post-COVID world also isn't isn't as much fun. Maybe it's not great. Maybe they've got used to working from home, and as soon as they have to go back to an office, they're, they're not going to cut it. I have heard many, many stories of people who have been working for companies for a long, long time that in just the last month or two decided they didn't want to work anymore. They were going to go take some time off. They're going to go on sabbatical. They're going to take a few months off because they're a little bit burnt out. So I think that when the I, you know, to, to Paul's question again, I think when unemployment benefits run out, the lumber mills will get staffed up, restaurants will get staffed up, everything will get staffed up, prices will come down a little bit, by then we'll probably have some technology to make up for the, the people that don't come back. But some people don't want to come back ever. You know, Some people are going to have a really tough time coming back or they're going to change businesses, which everyone has the right to do whenever they want. They can decide, is, is it worth working or would I rather not. So, here's another guy reached out to me. He you know, he, he's a, he's an economist providing statistical analysis of foreclosure sale data for realtors. And they're trying to get a handle of the likelihood of a post-moratorium foreclosure surge so they can respond intelligently. And then wanted to know if we have if also have a strong interest in whether to expect an influx of home buyers in the mix and if so, whether this is likely to have a material effect on foreclosure surpluses and whether such an influx can cause trustees to relax their payment due immediately stance. All right. There's a lot of questions in there for foreclosure. And again, all you listeners out there, send me these questions. I want to be able to answer them. So here's some quick foreclosure news for you. So this month, in Texas for the July auction, we now have about 2,000 foreclosures so far that are scheduled for July. This is still down from the average 5,500, 6,000 number that we've had, but it is one. It is a you know a 15, 15 percent increase from last month, and probably one of our biggest increases that we're starting to come back. So we're going to start to see these numbers come back up as moratoriums go away and you know and the banks start releasing. So one is we'll start to see that going up. His question was, will there be an influx is question number one. And then two, is demand going to be there for it? So if if normally every month in foreclosures, and and these numbers in California are very similar to Texas or very similar to Florida or very similar to New York. So normally we had 6,000 postings a month for foreclosure. Post-COVID, we only had 2,000 a month. That means there was 4,000 a month that we called shadow inventory. Now it's been 15 months of that. So 4,000 times 15 tells us there might be, doing the quick math, 60,000 shadow inventory foreclosures out there that are getting ready to to go. So 60,000 foreclosure shadow inventory, in theory, as soon as the banks release it, all those foreclosures would get stacked up. Now, we went ahead and we looked at all of the postings that happened last June, July, and August to see, has anything changed since then? How many of them have refinanced? How many of them have sold? How many of them have changed hands? We're going to release this report pretty soon when we get the rest of the details. But the long story short is 90% of these postings from last year, nothing has happened yet. The, the, The old owners still own them. And so they're still like likely in default. They haven't refinanced. They haven't sold their house. Now 10 percent have. We can see little things in there, like a guy that was in foreclosure last July. Now he's refinanced, he refinanced a second on the house. You know, they have an, a new low rate. So in theory of the 60,000, maybe 40 or 50,000 or more haven't done anything yet. They're still theoretically in default, but the banks have, have turned it off. But here's something else that's happened over the last year. Nearly all of them have equity. Nearly all of them have 10, 15, 20% equity in their houses. So, two things could roll out. The banks could say, The moratorium's up. Here's your foreclosure notice. You're going into foreclosure three weeks from now. The normal timeline in Texas is it's three weeks, 21 days. If that happens, we would see a big influx because people don't have enough time to sell their houses. That's why foreclosures happen anyway in the last couple of years. So many people have equity. But as soon as they realize they're too far behind, they've only got three weeks to sell. Most of them can't do it. That's when we could see that influx. I think what's more likely, though, is banks are going to reach out to people, even in these states that are two and three week deadlines. And they're going to say, starting in 90 days, you are going to have to start making your payments again because the foreclosure moratorium's up. They're going to them a long leeway. If they do that, then people will list their houses for sale. They've got plenty of equity. It's the hottest market ever and the properties will sell. Will 60,000 affect the numbers in in Texas? Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui for a quick commercial break. So during 2020 and 2021, the real estate market completely changed. There's so much competition in the market, so many people trying to buy and sell houses, but there's hardly any supply, hardly any product, hardly anyone willing to list their homes. It's time for every agent out there to become a hybrid agent investor, to be able to reach out directly to homeowners to try to get them to sell or list their house. We've got a new website, go to leadpropeller.com and you can set up your own investor buyer website in just minutes. You'll set up your own URL, set up phone numbers, help go through the leads, help reach out to people that aren't listing their pro- their property currently and have them fill out a form that says, hey, I wanna sell my house. And then as an agent, you can go through and make them a hybrid offer. You can tell them, hey, I think your house would sell for $220,000 on MLS, but I can either write you a $180,000 cash offer right now or I can help you fix it up and you'll list it for 220,000 on MLS. These are buyers that are looking for quick cash offers. Tens of thousands are submitting these forms every single day and they're skipping the listing process. But so many of you guys out there are such good agents, it's a great opportunity to get that lead and help them maximize sales price for their home. So again, go to leadpropeller.com and think about signing up for your own investor site so buyers will start reaching out to you asking you to make an offer on their home. You know, the, if I just look really quick on Texas real estate statistics, I'm going to try to see how many have sold in the last year. Because I know we've, in the country, there's been five or six million in the country. But if you're trying to see, will there be an influx if all of a sudden we're adding, you know, 60,000 And those would be resales on the market. So my theory, what's going to happen is of those 50 or 60,000, we may see five or 10,000 foreclosure postings. I think we'll go back to seeing six to 7,000 a month because that's what happens in a healthy market. But we're also going to see the people that are selling it to third party, that they're going to realize, okay, now I'm going to try uh, to sell this property. So I'm going to just choose Texas as a whole said, and I'm looking now at the Texas Real Estate Research Center, Texas A&M. University. I'm not sharing my screen, but you guys can get this statistics for uh, wherever you are. So, in April in Texas, 35,000 houses sold. In March in Texas, 35,000 houses sold. Uh, in February, 25,000. So, we're seeing if if all of a sudden you added 50,000 to the market, yeah, you would see double the month of inventory. So now you'd see two two and a half months of inventory, three months of inventory compared to the current one third. So, one. what well, do I think we're gonna see a lot of foreclosures? No. I think that we're going to see some, I think we're going to see it go back to normal levels. I think most of those are going to turn into third party listed houses for sale. And then also, so do I think there's going to be enough people that want to buy those? I think absolutely a lot of people will want to buy those. And part of that statistic, I did the interview with the guy from NerdWallet and he said 22 million people said they believe they're going to buy a house in the next year. And even though last year only five to six million sold. So what that tells us is there's five, four or five times the amount of demand that we have. Seventy-five percent of the people who think they want to, are gonna buy a house are not going to be successful buying a house. So if we double the months of inventory for what you know for one or two months throughout the country, Texas is one of the biggest foreclosure states in the country. So we're talking about adding 60,000 units is only going to add a month of inventory. You have a similar number out in in California, similar numbers out in Texas. So we may see a month or two with two months of inventory. But if we've got five times as many buyers as we have sellers, uh, I think that they will quickly be scooped up. I think the best way people can take action is reach out to those local, you know, list services that sell some of that data and you reach out to them as an agent and say I want to be the person that's going to sell your house or go tell them hey, I've got a buyer to buy your house so when you're ready, we want to buy the house because you have to be able to buy it before it gets put on MLS. You have to get that listing before they get that notice from the bank that it's about to run out because once they get that notice, then it's then it's fire sale time. All these houses have equity. They're going to be great third-party sales as they start to go out. His last question said, will the trustees relax their payment due immediately stance? The way the foreclosure works is the bank says, hey, I'm ready to take this to sale. Then they send it to a trustee. That trustee is the auctioneer that goes and sells it. At auction, you always need all cash. Uh, in most non-judicial states, there's some states that you can pay different amounts. So do your research and do that. In California, Nevada, Texas, you need all cash the moment of. In Arizona, you need five or ten thousand, and then you can uh, pay it in just the next, you know, several days uh, to to finish paying for it. But I do not think that trustees are going to relax their due on sale clause because once the bank says send this to foreclosure, they want their money back as soon as possible. And what we've seen too in auctions lately is that it has sold for way more. Then bank debt. So everything that sold the last few months, any lender got paid in full, all of their legal fees, all their interest, all their anything, because demand is so high. I saw one that had, you know, 700,000 in debt go into auction in Austin a week or two ago, and it sold for a million, 1.3 million something like that. So way over what the lender was owed. So I hope that helps a little bit. I do think there is an opportunity there for the people out there. I don't think it's going to sway the market a ton one way or another. So let's go through a few more articles that came out. And thank you for listening. I'm going to try and knock these last few out in just the next 5, 10 minutes. Great articles, though, that have been trending like crazy. So this one is from Business Insider. It said, Wall Street firms like BlackRock are snapping up every single uh, American home they can find. Here are the six important things to know. So there was this tweet that said, hey, they're paying over asking. They're stealing homes from people. What do you guys think? And Insider did a great job of saying, here's the truth behind that. Number one, Blackstone, not BlackRock, led the way for institutional investors to enter the market back in 2012. So number two says, because there simply aren't enough homes to purchase, companies have pursued other paths to acquire single family rentals in which they don't compete as directly with home buyers. So it's saying, yes, they're buying new stuff, but the, but most of the houses that they're actually getting are houses they're actually building themselves. So, so many of these companies are actually building houses themselves. My company is building houses ourselves in order to rent out afterwards. So yes, it, it, they are out. So these firms are out there buying houses, but not at the levels that that tweet said. And they're also doing so much more to bring extra supply to the market. And here's a, kick, a kicker number three, Wall Street firms buy a very small number of homes nationally. But then in certain cities, they have a big presence. So there's going to be 10 or 11 cities in the US where they have a big presence. 10 or 11 cities. The rest of the cities, they don't. And so it said invitation homes, for example, is just a small sliver of the single family rental market. It's the biggest single family rental company in the United States and only about one half of 1% of the nation's $16 million homes. So that means the biggest one in the country, less than a percent, less than half of a percent of the housing in the US. And if you took all those investors, you'd still be you know 90% of, of real estate in the US is still owned by people. Not, not investors. All right. Next says SFR companies are in the middle of a per- period of historic growth, giving them greater influence over the housing market. So in a group that includes SFR buyers, investors spent a record $77 billion on home purchases in the last six months. So it's just saying that because there are so many investors, and that's not just Wall Street investors, that's just people. That means it really is pushing numbers. So the the number five said investment firms are really beating out average home buyers. Average bidders often rely on mortgage financing to close. If Banks are leery and many major SFR companies are just paying in cash. So it does say cash buyers are, you know, able to purchase for more. They're able to pay over that. So they're, so they they do have often listings and the people that got interviewed said, yes, often they'll have 80 bidders on their house. And then at the end of the day, it's usually going to go to the investor that paid the most cash for the property. That's one of those things I told you guys to impact inflation is buy more housing and people are doing it. Researchers have found that institutional landlords are more likely to evict evict renters than small landlords. And that's why they get painted in an unsympathetic light. So interesting part of Business Insider there was just trying to say, hey, that part of that tweet was real, but part of it was exaggerated and you need to know the data. And what can you do as an agent with that information? How does that help you? If you have an... One of the things you can do as you're trying to go get those listings is knowing that there's some of these other buyers that are out there. You can, you can also try to figure out what markets are they not participating in. And then if you are competing against an investor, the only thing that's going to help with a seller on that is sales price. And I know that's the toughest thing for buyers to hear. I've seen a lot of letters come in when people are offering ten dollars or $20,000 under asking, and they're saying, please accept our offer. Please don't accept the other offer. But then you have other offers that are over asking. And the letter will not make as much of a difference as sales price. It's just the way that it works in houses uh, as people are trading things out. So We've talked about it before, but making sure that your buyers write that strong article. If there are investors competing in your market, sending cash, then maybe your buyer can't pay all cash, but they can outbid them with offers because appraisals still are working out really well. All right. Next article. This was from Business Insider, June 16th. The U.S. is short 6.8 million homes, the National Association of Realtors says. The U.S. housing market is down at least 5.5 million units, accounting for losses of existing homes and underproduction brings that total 6.8 millions. Builders can solve the issue over the next decade, but data suggests they're far from reaching the pace they need. So that was, it goes in line with what NerdWallet had said. So NerdWallet had said, we're un, we have set, you know, they essentially said we have 15 million extra units that we need, or maybe that was we have 15 million units that people want. And then National Association of Realtors said there's 6.8 million homes that they need. All right. Next was an Inman article. Uh, last week. it says homeowners are losing their enthusiasm for refinancing. Mortgage lenders face a double whammy in May with purchase loans and refinances falling. The pullback in rate and term financing in which homeowners refinance to take advantage of lower rates rather than to cash out home equity was particularly pronounced smaller. Rate and term financing rates locks fell to 8.2% from April to May compared to a 3.4% drop in purchase locks. So yes, I, I think I also think a lot of people have refinanced. So homeowners are losing their enthusiasm for refinancing. I don't think it's getting any higher. Rates are going up slightly. It's also coming into the end of the year as people are heading into the summer. It's not the time that people are always doing it. Maybe people are waiting, wait and see. But I think a lot of people that were planning to take advantage of those rates have already done it. And now it's going to take a lot of mortgage brokers are going to have to go out and convince people it's time uh, to refinance instead. All right, Business Insider, June 16th. U.S. housing starts grew less than expected in May as construction bottlenecks stifled raging demand. That was also one of the questions, hey, when is lumber demand coming back? I think we're within a few months of them coming up with some technology, getting people back, subsidizing workers uh, to get out there. I do think that it's going to get government subsidized to bring lumber back out. But it says U.S. housing starts grew 3.6% in May to an annualized rate of 1.57 million. The Census Bureau said economists expect a 3.9% jump. April reading was also revised to lower, indicated dropped 12%. Builders are struggling to shore up home supply as demand remains elevated and construction costs soar. I have a lot of new home construction purchases that we're buying and everything is getting delivered late right now they're struggling getting everything delivered a lot of houses that were supposed to be done in august are now getting pushed back to january or february i've got two houses next to each other that the only thing that they're waiting on is special breakers in the electric panel but it's going to the rest of the house is done they're waiting for breakers in the electric panel and we still have three months before they think we're going to we're going to be able to buy that house so little things like breakers slow it down and i think the builders are the big builders are just smarter So if they know, hey, we're not going to be able to sell that house until we get that little breaker at the end, until we figured that out, they're smarter where they're not going to start anything until they know they can finish. They don't want to have a house finished where they put up all the money and they can't sell these smaller builders that were less prepared that are now having, you know, they have a finished house and they have to wait two or three months to be able to sell it to me they're in bad shape. That's like, they're paying interest every month. The price is already locked in. Um, I, it, It's tough to be in that position. So, you know, that's the last of the articles I wanted to talk to you guys about today. Oh, I, I, I I'm going to correct that one on with one article. In an article says, with foreclosure on the horizon, res.net revamps the REO portal. So it does say there is a big company, res.net subscription-based agent membership gives real estate agents the opportunity to win REO listings from loan services and manage their own properties. So if you're interested in foreclosures, I would go check out uh, their company a little bit. They at least believe that foreclosures are coming back, even if my prediction is that we are not going to see them at that level. And I would call myself a foreclosure export expert. I love buying houses on the courthouse step. I love buying foreclosures more than anything else. An abandoned house that nobody's lived in for a while. I see so much potential and so much fun in that. So it'd be better for me if we were going to see a lot of it. But when I look at the data, I think we've still got some runway. I think prices are still going to keep climbing up for a little while. And I think that that's going to offset so much of the foreclosure risk. Real estate rock stars. I'm Aaron Amuchastegi. Thank you again for coming on and listening to the show as I get to talk to you about all of the news that I think you can apply to your life. Go find me on Instagram. It's at Aaron Amuchastegi or find our realestate.com and go apply. I want to get some more people on here. If you haven't checked out, one of the things we were talking about is Lead Propeller. That's that new, you know, the new website out there to help people create their own. I want to buy your house site. This is one of those sites I think applies so much for what you guys are, for what we were talking about in this episode of trying to find the house before it gets listed for foreclosure. How can you convince those buyers of that? Lead Propeller has a template built into their site that says, how do I stop foreclosure? People search, how do I stop foreclosure in Austin, Texas? It goes to your site. It says, oh, I'll buy your foreclosure. They fill out the form as agents out there. Now you can look like investors and agents, or you can bring that to your clients that are looking for a house and say, hey. Would you want to buy this house direct? Lots of opportunity out there, real estate rock stars. Again, happy June. I will talk to you all soon. Thanks for listening. All right, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Muchistegi jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully, you guys loved listening to that one. And I want to make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also, we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rankings. Right now, we are the biggest Podcast out there for real estate agents. And we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, we've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. Every penny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients. And we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate. How to get the listing, how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff, rebusuniversity.com. And if you want to chat with me, go find me on Instagram. And if you come find me on Instagram, you can send me messages. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like. We try to put a bunch of content out there too. You can find me in two different places. It's at rerockstars.com for our Real Estate Rockstars page or at erinamuchasteggi.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon.